7 o'clock or thereabouts. Call the uh, October 26th meeting of the Finance Committee to order. Tonight, we have the pleasure of having part of the Board of Assessors and our Chief Assessor going to give us a thumbnail sketch of how you get to the number of my house on Sherman Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> So without that, oh. gentlemen, oh, minutes, oh, the minutes. Just trying to keep you on track. Mr. Yes, Mayor. please do. Oh, public comment. Haven't had one yet in seven, eight years, so nothing. Um, I'll take a, the minutes for 928 and 1018 were attached and on the agenda. Um, if anybody has no changes, I'll listen for a motion to approve. Motion to approve. Second. Roll call. Roll call. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, do you want to do it? Um, yeah, so Chana first. Yes. Uh, Mike? Yes. Dave? Yes. George? Yes. John? Yes. Natalie? Yes. Now, uh, now go to the, the uh, assessors. These are being affectionately called a deep dive. We've done it for numerous departments and uh, committees throughout the, the town just to give us and whoever's listening on the outside um, you know, we go through it at the budget time and ask questions about the budget. Why is this and why is that? But this gives us the opportunity to see what happens below the, below the surface to actually come up to a budget. Gentlemen. Okay. My name's Kevin Doyle. I'm the Director of Assessing. And this is the Chairman of the Board of Assessors, Chris Feely. Who used to sit in this chair, I think. Yes, sir. We have a saying in the office, uh, uh, we just want to know what time it is. We don't want you to build a watch, but uh, you can see my notes. I want to be fully prepared here uh, for anything that I felt was important. Uh, try to uh, give you a brief overview and then get into some of the uh, more specific things that you're uh, seeking. But I think it's important to understand uh, First of all, that um, I checked the numbers, and our office is responsible for 60% of the budget, um, the revenue, between the real and personal property and the motor vehicle excise. And we, we are very sensitive to the fact that we have to have a very solid program um, so that those funds uh, can reasonably be expected to be collected in full. Um, the assessment date is important because folks out there have a misunderstanding, some of them, uh, as to what relates to um, their tax, how their tax bill is related to the market. The uh, assessment date is January 1st. 2022 for fiscal year 2023. Um, that being said, um, the appraisals are based 
on numbers that are developed for as close as possible to what the value would be as of January 1st, 2022. However, um, physical improvements to the property are included in our uh, database uh, right through to June 30th, the day before the fiscal year begins. And that was put in place the, over 30 years ago and uh, has not been uh, challenged at the state level. So, um, and it seems only fair anyways that you'd be assessed for the whole coming year coming up based on what was there the, the day before. Um, excise, a butters list, betterments, public records requests and maintenance, processing deeds, and building permits, those are all things that are taking place downstairs constantly. Um, the deeds in particular and the building permits are uh, essential to uh, assessing the correct ownership and the um, a flag as far as the properties go uh, as to what needs uh, maintenance. Um, we have an ongoing program, but the uh, building permits are a particular, uh, of particular interest because they generate what's called new growth. And new growth is the revenue attributed to the improvements that uh, will contribute to the value of the, of the town. Even if the market were flat, there would be uh, those additions uh, would be allowed in addition to a 2.5% increase to our overall levy. Um, so we're working on the numbers now in uh, pre preparing them for submission to the state. Uh, it just happens that we're at this point uh, in our cycle today. Um, so the year begins out by uh, our calculation and commitment of real and personal property taxes. The final tax rates, as you know, are set around on and about uh, December 1st, by the middle of December. We're uh, generating a file for the actual tax bills to be committed to the treasurer collector um, for mailing December 31st. And um, appeals uh, on those can only be filed in January uh, or no later than close of business on February 1st. So that's the annual season for that. Um, some of the things that can that contribute to revenue also, um, once we get the full file out, we're also um, in the process of receiving in middle of January the excise file, uh, which last year was a $4 million file, just that one uh, file of approximately 28,000 bills, I believe. Um, that's prepared. Uh, late January, early February, usually slated to be mailed in mid, early to mid-February and due a month later. Um, let's see what else we have here. So um, we begin, uh, when, when we have the appeals, we want to, uh, we're anxious to correct anything that might be wrong. Most of the time, errors that are made 
uh, in value are because there are errors in data. The data translates to value, and I'll get to a little more of that shortly. Um, so the first thing we do when we have an appeal is we ask for um, the property owners. We uh, expect them to allow us to do a full remeasurement and re-inspection of the property, even if it hadn't been quite that you know, long since it was done, because there might be something that was a key punch error or something that's been overlooked for some reason. Um, and so um, we work, work those. And then we move, begin moving right into the process at that point uh, as the winter's closing actively to get back on the road. Uh, we have three appraisers now, and they're uh, all actively uh, out there uh, in, the cy in cycles to collect data and to bring it back to the office and process it, computer translate it into uh, future valuation for the next, we're preparing for the next year as soon as this year closes. Um, we reply, the board, I should say, votes, and we um, provide the board's vote on any abatements. Um, they're usually during the March-April period. Um, in April, May, um, we take all of the land splits or combinations, that it's parcels that are either being divided, planned for division um, uh, in the prior calendar year, uh, as of January 1st. Um, so we take a full calendar year, so full prior calendar year, and uh, I work um, on the tax maps and provide the uh, changes requested uh, required to our mapping company, which also develops a new GIS file, which is now up on our uh, base for this year. And um, we're actively working on cyclically recollecting properties. So uh, the state <coughs> realized that just to go out and do a revaluation, going back 40 years ago, when it when everyone was expected to have at least begun, if not finished, their first revaluation under the new mandates, uh, that to just do it once, you know, or, and just go out on building permits wasn't sufficient. It could be errors, or there could be changes that take place. Maybe they start out as maintenance, but then they really become improvements, or they at least transform the property from, a, say, a fair condition to a good condition. So all of the periodic review of the properties, uh, at least within 10 years, uh, is a mandate now from the uh, Department of Revenue. And um, we also, um, at that point, once we have the, uh, in the spring, we have the um, parcel divisions done, uh, completed, uh, and we've been collecting some data at least we generate a preliminary bill file to get things started. So sometimes there's a new home, we'll be able to capture much of that on a preliminary bill, which is usually desired by the property owner because otherwise they end up with what might be called sticker shock in January. They weren't expecting such a drastic change. They've got a little bit of that. Uh, along the way in the uh, preliminary taxes. 
Um, preliminary bills are out. We intensify collection. Good weather's here. The analysis continues on the real estate file. Um, and we begin uh, preparing files that we'll be submitting to the Department of Revenue. This is where we get into the sticks and stones, if you will, of uh, the, the work we're doing in real estate. Um, we have an agent that does personal property. They specialize in this. They do uh, at least a third of the communities in Massachusetts and some work in other states. Um, it makes sense because uh, their industry is collecting data about small or large items of machinery and constantly changing with technology. Uh, the value of those things is a little bit overwhelming to track on a local basis. They're tracking it for a large number of communities and they, they can come in and do this work for us and we get a very good return um, on the value of new growth resulting from discovered uh, personal property, uh, new accounts being added to the rolls. Uh, we get about at least eight times the cost of the contract uh, in uh, new growth, uh, our capacity to uh, increase the uh, tax. And with new growth, again, both in real and personal property, uh, those accounts and parcels are carrying that additional burden. They're, we're attributing it so that we can add to the levy, but we're also um, knowing that they're going to be paying along with everyone else. So um, I guess now I need to tell you that maps started out a long time ago. You've probably seen some of the historical maps in different places in the museum and in town. Um, some of the offices here have maps on the wall that, from the past. Um, that's where it all started out. It was probably simple when you had maybe a couple of dozen owners throughout the community. Um, but it, it continued to, as the communities grew, it continued to be an important inventory uh, tracking uh, device uh, for assessors. Uh, because you could do an accounting, you could physically a look at something that depicted all these properties. You could travel along and say, well, yeah, we're all set with this one, uh, it's the next one. Um, so it became more and more important. Now the accuracy of the maps, just like the accuracy of the descriptions of the property, has also become more and more important, more sensitive because of uh, the importance of uh, local taxation and the uh, increases in services um, beyond just um, beyond school district, adding fire, police, and the growth of the communities into uh, the nation that we have now. Um, we, we have, um, excuse me, uh, we we're able to delineate with the maps the, uh, not only the inventory, but we're also able to um, visually see what, what we should be doing in terms of neighborhood delineation and how we should separate one group of properties from another that, that maybe there's a pattern here that we have to watch for in terms of setting land values. 
we have not a lot of land, raw land sales uh, anymore. Um, we, for, there was a time when we would have a dozen or 20 or a couple of dozen even. Uh, but um, now uh, we only have three or four uh, in this analysis, the two, uh, two year analysis period. Uh, normally, uh, for well, for single families and condominiums, we have sufficient sales data that we're able to do uh, an analysis for evaluation purposes uh, using one full calendar year. And that calendar year uh, in this year is calendar 2021. Um, that's the year that applies to the values that will be presented to the folks in um, their bills uh, in January. The um, classes like uh, two family, three family, uh, and commercial and industrial and apartments have much fewer sales, so we're required under the guidelines of the Department of Revenue to uh, survey a two-year period of sales. We've chosen to survey between July 1st, 2020 and June 30th of this year um, to be as close to current and as close to the January 1st, 2022 assessment date as possible. Uh, these analyses are done um, First of all, the, the chart here was the recap sheet, the summary, and on the top, the three lines, the bottom line is the, uh, the levy through taxation. And go, you go a little bit lower, the bottom line on the uh, grid area uh, is the same number, 87 million something uh, is the amount to be raised for real and uh, personal property. And then the next page actually had just had various other receipts. The top line is uh, motor vehicle excise, uh, which uh, we project a, a reasonable number to, for purposes of building this year's budget, uh, a safe number, because uh, we don't want to contribute towards a revenue deficit uh, by having an overstated number for the collection of motor vehicle excise. So it's like 4.3 million, and I did mention that our first commitment was 4 million, just the first commitment alone, but that's almost, that's the largest of all of them. As well though, they're, they're not always, um, people sell cars, they buy a new one, but, um, the money's not always collected 100% uh, 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 for a while. Um, so uh, that is the number that we used uh, for last, that was last year actually. Um, the next sheet will show you, um, there's some text on it on the next page. Uh, it's, a, it's a grid, uh, the second document. Did you have it? That's it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, 
you, you don't need to read the, the other. That's more or less instructional, but yeah, here's zero and on that's great. So um, this shows that we have to meet, these are the highest standards for statistics that exist in uh, the country, uh, in Massachusetts, and there are other states, some of the states that are you know, using similar uh, standards. Um, they mirror the, uh, they either mirror or they're maybe even in some cases a little bit stronger than the National Association's standard, suggested standards. So we, we have a very good program here in Massachusetts and it has been nearly 40 years for most communities that they've been revaluing property and refining uh, the practices in the community. Um, single family homes, um, you can see that it says 90 to 110%. That's the middle ratio when you take the assessed value of each sale and divide it by its respective sale price, you come up with a uh, assessment to sale ratio. Uh, the middle one in that uh, group uh, needs to be between 90 and 110 percent. But what happens is that in most communities, single family homes are the predominant um, class of properties. And uh, you have to have uh, you have to have a, a ratio in that range, <coughs> and then following that, all of the other uh, medians for each of the other classes, condominium, the uh, multifamily, etc., must be within five points, five percent uh, of the uh, median selected or concluded for the single families. Um, so you can't have a scattered situation. This is all looking towards having a fair and equitable program for all property owners. Um, the right number is called is maximum COD. That stands for coefficient of dispersion. The coefficient of dispersion, simple terms, is um, you don't want it to be more than 10, and you probably would expect it to be uh, around six or seven, in, usually in the single family area. And for example, you'll get an idea that because of uniformity in condominiums, you tend to see it's more in the four to five point area. Uh, it's the spread from the median. Uh, and it, it's a measure of the spread from the median. Um, so, we're looking for property values to be fair and equitable, and we're not looking, we're looking for you to make some sense, us, we have to make some sense of what's going on in the market. Um, if you had a high uh, coefficient dispersion, it's probably an indication that you've got to um, do some stratification of special uh, characteristics of properties within each class. So within single family, that is, would be neighborhoods. Yes. yes. Question. Sure. Can, can we put that into reality? <laughs> um, okay. 
So uh, I have a single family house. Okay. Okay. Um, how is that? So what you're saying is, so you assessed it, uh, uh, I'll read it to you, uh, or I had it up. It's like 440, let's say. Where's the 440, how do you validate the 440 using Okay, this? okay, so, um, yeah, I missed, missed a couple of lines there, I think. So, we analyze the market first. So we have market, market sales. To determine, we've determined which sales are valid sales, arm's length sales between a willing buyer and a willing seller. Is that relatively, Franklin, right? Southern uh, Franklin. 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 We have adequate data within Franklin for uh, certainly all the residential classes. Um, and, and we'll, how, I don't mean to interrupt the flow, but um, when you say the market, is that, do you go to Costello Realty and say, how much are you getting out no. of these? So when you say the market, right. how do you come to it? It's actual okay. transactions. Yeah. That the actual been, transactions. Yeah. Right. That there's a deed been filed. Okay. So in, let's say in today's world, where houses um, are selling for crazy numbers, is there an adjustment? I'll call it a crazy adjustment. Is there a crazy adjustment done to bring, for instance, my, I'll use mine as an example. Mine's, I think it's 440. 440, Thank you very much. <laughs> but who's count? But, Figured I'd pull up the property card. Just but it, it, uh, <laughs> I had it here, but I closed it. Um, I could sell it today for, based on its location, it's got water sewer, blah, 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 for six. Is there, is there some, how do you get from the six something back to the four four? So we start with the sales, and so this year, well, the number you have now, for example, came from um, a program. The models were built from calendar year 2020 sales. And the models are Franklin sales. Right. Always. Franklin sales for an assessment date of January 1st, 2021. And then they were used for fiscal 2022. So, so that's where your number presently so comes now from. Now, We've analyzed calendar 2021 year sales. So when 2020, so you're a year, you're on 2021 We're numbers. Yes. Required to have. So when 2022 numbers comes in, mm -hmm. is there any effort effort made to not to take into account? I'll call it the crazy factor again so that mine doesn't go from 440 to 620. So the, there is not an adjustment, but so when you get those values because of proposition two and a half, what we're actually doing is we're taking a total value of all the property in Franklin 
and dividing it by what, by what we can assess as a levy. So if in one year there was a million dollars worth of property in Franklin, we have a tax assessment of $100. If the value of all the properties goes up to two million, the assessment only goes up by the two and a half percent. So even though your house is appraised at a higher value, it's only gonna impact your tax rate by the two and a half percent because the tax rate will go down in that situation. I understand the actual tax. I was yep. more, yeah, I, I mean, if you assess every house in town for a million bucks, well, then the tax rate is going be low. Correct. By definition, because mm -hmm. we're still only going to spend $130 million. Correct. Right. Um, but there won't be an adjustment downward from that. So we, we theoretically then come this time next year, most houses will go up on, on as a value, as an assessed value, significantly. And the, the rate will then drop on the other side to, to only collect what we're going to spend. Correct. Say that statement? I would say yes. Okay. Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with it. Um, and I don't want to alarm anyone, but values are going to go up. I don't know if I want to use the term significantly, but it's, it's All you have to do measurably this uh, no year from that. last year. Yeah. Oh, and we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing that the calendar 21, and then we came into calendar 22, and we're like, wow, now 21 is history. So, so the, this but, new shock is, is coming, just like it is. But it is, now. on your and assessment, Chris said yes. It's, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right, let's jump ahead. Hold, hold this jump yeah. portion. Well, I'm sorry. Um, the pool you say you use is the number of houses sold in a year to get your assessed values. What, how many houses are usually sold in a year? Uh, it's, um, uh, in the 300 range somewhere. Okay, so you, you, it, there's a decent number for your Oh, your yeah. Okay. Right. Correct. But the minimum required, like in other classes, they'll, they'll say, well, the minimum is 2%. We have no problem with that in uh, okay. single family or condominiums. Yeah. We sometimes we might be, well, actually we do have a, we are low on the, the other, in the other classes, so that's why we go over the two years. It, it, there's a formula for that that Commissioner right. of Revenue sets out. A, no, I was just curious as to the actual physical numbers sure. that you're using. So, and again, even if that number was low, yeah. so now you don't maybe have a clear picture. Right. That clear picture or not enough data is going to be spread over that whole class. Oh, yeah. So even if it's off, it's off for everyone. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I, right. I'm just wondering what pie you're working with. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, yeah, along those lines, how many residential properties, it's around 11,000, I think, or somewhere in that range? It's single families in, um, a little under eight thousand. The total is eleven thousand. Oh, right. Total. All, all properties. All properties. Oh, total. Yeah. Uh, it's about. Yeah, it's close to eleven for taxable. It's about a thousand exempt yeah. properties, including town. Okay, I got to pay attention. Um, I know how a house is valued. Okay, how many bathrooms? How many bedrooms? that kind of stuff. 
how big the land is, I would assume. Land is many times yep. half of the property value. Um, EMC's manufacturing building, or whoever owns it at the moment, Dell, I guess. How are the commercial properties, A, the rented ones, and B, the unrented ones, the vacant, you know, there's two or three good-sized buildings up on Fort Park that are empty. Is there a, how are those valued? Is there, is it the same concept on a house versus a commercial building? No. So, I don't want to take too long with this. There's three approaches to value. For commercial property. For, for, well, there's three approaches to value for anything, theoretically, yeah. but cost, market, and income. Uh, so, in the residential, we call it market-adjusted cost, because we're using market, but we're using all of the uh, elements, the descriptive elements, to translate to value. So, um, it's a market-adjusted cost system. Now we'll go to apartment, uh, four or more apartments, or uh, commercial or industrial properties. These are largely, um, there are some sales, there are few sales. Oftentimes, the sales involve either multiple properties or the, the, the consideration on a deed is an allocation from something that transaction that's taking place regionally or nationally. Uh, the, in other words, or there's personal property involved in it, business equipment, or some business interest might be reflected in it. So we have a harder time getting good sales data for commercial, industrial, and apartments. So um, we do have a consultant. They were able to draw on regional information, which is really how people would be looking at those types of properties anyways. It'd be, say, I want something within the 495 belt that's like this. So the market tends to be out there for the uh, available information tends to be the rental information. And we request annually income and expense information from all commercial, industrial, and apartment property owners. So that, uh, and so that we can develop our base but in addition, there are, there is other information out there. So, um, if say one of these warehouses is empty and they haven't collected rent in okay. three years, does the does the taxable value of the property go down? No. So this is how it was income and more. Right. So right. we we um, develop models um, income, and obviously there are allowances for quality and location that might be drive a higher rental rate. Um, we have an offset for that type of building. This is the type of expense that takes place. So you, um, then we end up with a net operating income. This is on the real estate side, nothing to do with the business end of it. Um, the net operating income is then related to uh, an investment return. Uh, this is kind of the simplest way to put it. It's called the capitalization rate. Um, we we actually, what we do with uh, the vacancy issue is that in upfront, 
we have the gross income and we have a lot less a vacancy and collection loss factor. And in order to achieve uniformity, we analyze uh, for a stream of vacancy or collection loss. So say it may be 5% or 10% allowance. So every property gets that. The property might be occupied. Every commercial. For, you know, commercial property, right, may be occupied for nine years and then go vacant for eight months. Um, the allowance is built in to the valuation model annually. So they're getting that allowance all along the way. So when the time comes when there's a, you know, there's a year and a half where they, they don't have any tenant, some of that is a choice though, because they're looking to, for a certain, so maybe they're looking for a rent that's a little Income strong. to a building actually affects, maybe not a lot, but it certainly affects the valuation of the building. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if I, the house is empty for eight months, does that apply? No. No. I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, the building at Eight Forge Park or whatever, pick a number, is empty. <coughs> the taxes ultimately, depending on how long it's going to be empty, go down. No. No. So, we just said that income... It, it affects it over a broad range. So there's multiple buildings in Franklin, like Eight Forge Park. So we're using... That one's not, by the way. I picked the wrong number. What, 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 whatever whatever number it is. But there's multiple properties similar to that. So we're using that number from the properties that are rented to come, to come up with a base of value that you can assume or assess that that Eight Forge Park, if it's 4,000 square feet or 10,000 square feet, and there's one down the street or whatever that's the same size, or similar functionality, you can assess based on that. So you're using the income across a broad stream, not for that individual building. Okay. The common thing here, common denominator here is the, this whole industry is called mass appraisal, which is Massachusetts. It's mass across the entire jurisdiction. And um, instead of having you know, picking a property and then picking three to six comparables and developing a value on each property one by one. We develop models that can be used and applied. First of all, we test them to make sure that they make sense against those properties that have sold, even in, even in the commercial industrial area. Um, then those models are applied to the non-sold Properties at, in an equitable fashion, so that so you go home with his eyes crossed tonight. Eyes crossed. Any any other questions before I have I have a list. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? No. Uh, well, let me go around my list. Nobody has any questions about their about property or I, curiosity. I have, People yeah, always have, ask us about the building wall or something. I'm curious because you were talking about their cycles that houses get appraised, right? So, what is the average cycle time from my residential home getting actually somebody to come up and look at it? You know, is it every 10 years somebody comes and looks and make sure that all the things have not changed, or what's the general 
cycle that happens? Yes, it's every 10 years for a visit to the property, but every property is revalued annually. Yeah. So right now, we, we just, they just changed, uh, last year was our first revaluation after a five year period. That's state uh, monitored on-site uh, revaluation. However, um, they've been, it's been expected for the last 30 years that you would make adjustments annually uh, to maintain your values at what's called 100% of full and fair cash value. Uh, and, and you have to do the statistics and submit uh, information to the Department of Revenue before you can go forward. Um, so property visit is about the data collection. So it's at least once every 10 years. There are building permits we try to you know, we'll obviously make an attempt to to see what how the work might have impacted the uh, the description of the property and therefore the valuation potentially. Okay. Um, no, I did see that actually. I had I just we pulled a permit for a project and the day we filed it back. I think the assessors were there within the week, so <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was quick, it was quick work, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's quite even the nails aren't getting cold uh, <laughs> before getting out there. No, we we try. Um, we we have. Uh, we've I been, think you answered her question. Okay, yeah. I just yeah. wanted to add yeah. that we were uh, we've been we sent out ma mailers on the sales too, uh, all the sales, including commercial industrial. But uh, obviously, the biggest response we get is from the residentials uh, in terms of trying to work towards qualifying the sales, making sure we haven't missed something. Sometimes it turns out it's a family sale, even though that obviously the surnames might not be the same, but we didn't know that, and we said something's not right yet. Or my staff, when they go out to the property, they'll ask, you know, this seems you know, a bit low for this market, oh, it was, it was my mother's house, um, So um, we, we sent those out the sales questionnaire along with a letter on the other side that says that uh, we're going to be out soon to visit you uh, to verify the measurements and, and we ask that you allow us to see the interior but it takes only a few minutes uh, about 10 15 at the most um, to make sure that everything is accurate and it goes, goes both ways really we might you know might have uh, put something in there that uh, overstated the value or somehow it got into uh, the description of the property. Okay, okay. that was it, Ryan. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, you were getting an guesstimate, and I'm assuming you've run some numbers on this already, as to how much you think property values are going to go up because of what's happening in the marketplace, or have you not even taken a look at that? You're not taking it. Okay. Just curious as to if it's something. I can tell you your house is going up a lot. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's actually not, not a, it's more of a question of, I'm probably one who knows, yeah, or understands that a little bit more than most. Should we say something to the people that that might be happening? So we will, at uh, the classification hearing, we will have information relative to, um, and can we can only, really provide like an overall effect like we take the average 
Yeah, I, I mean, and the then, estimate average. So this is how the average property has been affected? Yeah. From one year versus the next? Yeah. But there's such a... Oh, it's a huge dichotomy. Right, I understand. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it at least gives people an idea as to it know, does. Is it going up in, you know, 10% or 50 Yeah, they, and then when, when they're, you know, it's what, like in the past, it's been like around, say, 5%. Someone went up 8 and they're yeah. calling on the phone. But, but that's fine if they have a you know question on a okay. particular property. But most of the, like I said before, most of the time, it's about the data. So, um, you know, I'd like to put a word out there that, you know, uh, and pretty much we've kind of had to kind of close the file for new data for this uh, cycle. Mm -hmm. But we'll, we'll, we'll continue to collect, but we'll have to save it for next year. If they, at this point, if someone's not aware that property values are going up, right, by what's going on over the last six or eight months, they're not watching TV or reading a newspaper, oh, so you would have no way of getting the information yeah. through them anyway. I'm not saying they're not aware, I'm just saying the issue is how yeah. much. Exactly. Right. Not, not sure. even how much. Right. Yeah. Set. Set. Yep. Thank you. When, when the tax classification goes to the council in what, early December or late November? Yes. November 30th. November 30th? Uh, it, it always, I won't say it confuses me because I'm expecting it, but I get the town financial people back there on a July 1st to June 30th schedule. And it's sounding like the assessments are on a January 1st to December 31st schedule. So the second, the bills for the uh, third and fourth quarter are different than the first and second they go up right well, well no not necessarily they, they could well, and they generally most, have but yes yeah in most cases mine do right is there is there a and this may not be your question is there a reason the towns are on fiscal july ones and mm -hmm. assessments that provide the money are on that's a net question for jamie yeah <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, I mean, ultimately, and I say this, I, I'm sure some of you have heard me say this before, and I'm sure I'll say it a hundred more times. I mean, everything that the finance department does, vir virtually everything we do, including the schools, including assessing, including um, tax bills, um, including the budget process, the state budget, pretty much all of it's outlined in, in state law. I mean, ultimately, there are some regulatory decisions that are put out through the Department of Revenue or the Division of Local Services in the form of what's called an IGR. Um, and sometimes uh, the legislature kicks the can out and to a state agency to come up with a bunch of regs and we follow them. But, but, but you know, I try to encourage everybody that is interested at home, citizens, members on the finance committee, elected officials, staff, it just takes a lot of years to go through the municipal finance uh, uh, cycle. And um, even those of us that have worked in this for decades uh, still learn things every day. Um, and so it's just the way the system works. Even though a lot of it, to your point, 
you know, I get questions like this all the time. Well, why do you put a, approve a budget after, before the state that does its budget? Great question. You know, it doesn't make common, it doesn't make sense in the form of a, you know, Facebook post or a tweet, you know, in that kind of short duration. You really need to, there's a reason why the municipal finance law book is this thick. All of it is regulated heavily by the state. And so we just basically follow it to a science and then we apply some art kind of in between with the creativity through Chris or Carrie or Kevin or some of the staff. Simple solution that we have to have a budget by June 30, correct? Right. Whether the state does or doesn't. Well, I'm saying either constitutionally or, or legislatively, they could require that theirs be done by a date certain. And it's not it's not that complicated. Most, yeah, but to that point about the budgets, most of those types of things that we hear, like the reevaluation schedules, you know, when the tax rate has to get set. I can't just go set the tax rate in like August. All of it is scripted out within a certain amount of days at this point in the year, and we just kind of follow them. My point is I wish they can show that's all. They actually all do. That's the irony. It'll never match because the federal budget is on a completely different schedule. It's actually all designed to not exactly be on the same days for everyone. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> um, I don't make the rules, I just follow. <laughs> you still get a demerit. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a, a couple quick ones. I have 0.64 acres of land. If my land was on Hillside Road, a much better neighborhood, well, <laughs> not of opinion, would the value of the land be different. Do you want to answer that? I, I, I don't know so, well, what I, your... Uh, my .64 acres is worth uh, $211,800. If I picked that land and moved it to Hillside Road, a nicer neighborhood, the neighbors may bitch with me that I'm saying that, but you know what, I'm, the point is made. Would the value of the land change? Or is the land, the value, is my 0.64 multiplied by something, the same number that 0.64 is multiplied at a different address? And I'll take commercial out of it. If, if you had all the land in Franklin, not specific to your piece or the piece on Hillside Road, it does matter where it is. It's not all valued the same. So. Who sets that? I understand how houses are valued. It's bathroom is worth X, bedroom is worth Y. Who says the land under my house is not worth as much as the land under the outside road house? How is that? I, I frankly expected it to be all the same, so it kind of threw a curveball at me, but so. We wanted to so tell what neighborhood, <laughs> who decides what neighborhood is cheaper? That's or more expensive, if you want to look at it's it. It's either less it's expensive or more expensive. It's not cheap. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all dictated from the market, and I don't want to, I'm going to come in. We're back to the Costello Realtors market. Well, we're back to, we get the sales. We're able to access them online daily. So uh, from the prior day, uh, and we, we keep 
building those in our database. Um, and um, the analysis, as I said, uh, was uh, required specific this year to 2021 sales. Um, there's, there's the element of have, making sure as, as much as possible we have accurate information about the the buildings you, you say, you know, as you know, but the, not all buildings are equal either. So there are quality factors. There are all those decisions that have to be made along the way. So the short answer is yes, it, there's a different value. They're going to be different. Right. We don't have a lot of pure land sales. I mentioned that earlier. But, but to we be have clear, what's called. To be clear, <laughs> the information is not coming from Costello Realty no. or any other realist. I've just it's, given it. Okay. Right. Well, no. I, Christine's my sister-in-law, so all the plugs are great. small <laughs> town. <laughs> yeah, we, we use something called abstraction. I don't know if you want to get into all that. No. No. You wanted a deep dive. I mean, you guys asked for like the depths of the satellite. If you want that, you're going to need oxygen. I was even around when uh, they had a calendar year for the uh, budgets, and they went into the transition year was 18 I months. I was too. But anyway, <laughs> Thomas um, Jefferson taught <laughs> uh, We have um, how much? What percentage of year do you put away in an abatement fund? And I forget what the name of it is. Overlay. Overlay surplus. Overlay. And typically. I, I don't think we've seen the transaction from overlay in. They do it first. I, I understand. Okay. What I'm trying to get to is you, you give somebody, Jamie, or somebody a number for overlay, or is it a percentage? The, the, well, the finance department uh, decides on an appropriate amount to cover abatements and exemptions. Yes. So the statutory exemptions come out of that overlay. Okay. Uh, as, as well, well as. Let, can I ask what what's available left? <coughs> so I don't know the no, number. Typically, bad okay. question. Typically, how much of of one hundred percent? How much of it do you typically abate? That's a good question. So I don't know the answer to that. We can find that out for you, but I don't know the answer. Are you? Uh, he's looking. It generally varies from year to year. Some years it's no. uh, so it's not a it's, no, it, and and you know you can have an abatement occur quite a few years later as well. Right. So if you looked at the overlay account, there's um, specific amounts for specific years going back several years. Is some years it's that I've seen transfers where it's just, it's nothing substantial in the hundred thirty million dollar budget, but correct. It could be. It was just a question. If, if it was a really big number, it would mean that somebody, us or them, we're not really doing a good job. Okay. Um, the apartment houses right there that are being built. And the various other ones around town. When do they go from being built to sending the check to the finance, to the treasurer? They're, they're assessed for whatever's there as of June 30th. So if it's incomplete construction, 
we don't use the, well, we might, we might look at the income approach, but we're, we, we correlate the we correlate the income approach with the cost approach, and in a case like that, we select cost as the major um, approach to value, and we make the appropriate adjustment based on uh, construction industry standards. But they, so if it's a shell, it's probably going to be about forty percent of in, uh, in this full case, value. It looks like land is close to fifty, uh, just under fifty percent. The bad, usual bad, that I'll consider mine mm -hmm. the value of, so that that land over there has got to be worth a few coins, even with an incomplete building on top of it. Sure. So they, they would have been paying real estate tax on the land even prior to any construction. Okay. All right. Yeah. So. Right, there's, a, there's been a full value on the land since it was obvious what, you know, One last potential. one list that I think we've covered. Uh, building permits. She built up, added a garage, I think, or whatever. At what level, I put, I pulled a permit to put in a new furnace. It lasted 35 years, didn't know me anything. It was time for a new one. Does that type of improvement affect the value of the house. And at what stage, I know if I put, if I spent fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on a kitchen, okay, that does. But is there a, a level where you pull a permit to do some, I'll call it mini major improvements. Is that, in, does that affect the value of the house? Those so, kinds of things, so like the furnace. I'll, I'll get, right. I spent uh, thirteen thousand bucks on the furnace. So I, I don't want to get too technical here. So um, we uh, a fur furnaces. That's a maintenance thing. Your roof, you know, it's twenty years ago. By thirty years, it needs replacement. So. In fact, someone put a roof on, they had a permit for X number of dollars. So I, I guess I can assume that major renovations, a garage, yeah. right, will affect right. a furnace, probably won't have any, any effect. Because the, the furnace really doesn't change the value of the property. It, you expect there's going to be a furnace, but in the case of right. her home, where she had a garage, it clearly changes the value of the property. Okay, the one last, I thought it was the last one. You mentioned personal property. Does that ever apply to a residential? Only no, that was accepted about a hundred years ago. Only if they run a business out of it. Oh, okay. Right. On the, the business, we'll, we'll use across the street again. Big Y's got a lot of refrigerators and stuff that's, so that is taxed separately as per, as I'm, uh, right. I think it's so, a personal property, but they, well, that's what's called yeah. uh, business assets. So if if they do a major renovation and add all kinds of stuff, yeah, affects it, they get a separate bill for that. It yeah, probably uh, it depends. Uh, so the, it gets you get uh, several other dimensions when you get into personal property. Um, the type of ownership 
have, is a factor because there have been exemptions uh, put in the mass general laws that say that a certain thing isn't going to be taxable. For example, um, a sole proprietorship, everything that isn't real estate, like a mom and pop store, it's a, you know, it's a, just a husband and wife or something, or you know, or two partners running it. Everything, the inventory, uh, all of their machinery, equipment, it's all taxable, the non-real estate under personal property. Now, they incorporate their inventory is exempt, their furniture and fixtures are exempt, but they're still taxable locally for their machinery and equipment. So, you know, the, I don't know, uh, coffee machine, the, you know, different mechanicals they might have. Who says the rate? Well, that's what we value it, and then that's all contributes to the total value of the. So it's added to the business, or it's a separate? It's, oh, it's separate. It's separate from the real estate. But in Franklin, we have one rate, so they were all taxed at the same rate. Fourteen or twelve. Correct. Fourteen or twelve. Yep. So we're not going to change the value of your house too much then. <laughs> uh, all I know is if I put it on wheels and walk down the street three miles to Medway, my tax bill would double. That's all I know. I know that. So. Yep. Um, anybody else have questions? George. We're good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, I just want to. Um, and thank Chris and uh, the Board of Assessors who are elected, just as a reminder to everybody watching at home, um, and Kevin and his staff. Um, you know, there's four people downstairs in their office that do all this. Um, and I think as you can see tonight, we, Kevin uh, wisely uh, went against going deeper and deeper and deeper into the technicality of this, but I, I hope that people at home watching or listening at least come away with a minor appreciation for um, the level of sophistication that his staff and the appraisers do. Again, this is four people that go out and do this, you know, everything. Uh, it's quite amazing. Um, as I always say, they're like basically the gas in the tank of the car. You know, without the assessors, we really can't run the ship. So um, they do a phenomenal job. And, um, you know, I know on behalf of Chris and Carrie, everybody has a tremendous amount of faith in our staff, and it's like one of those things where it's like, thank God somebody else really loves doing this stuff because I can't understand it all, and Kevin and Peter and Dave and Sue, like, really love what they do. So, um, I just wanted to thank them for all their work. Thank you. I'll attest to that. My mind is clear as mud right now. So. But we're educated. Uh, we appreciate it. Anything else? Oh, future agenda. Yeah, future. Does anybody have anything, <coughs> any, any other department that we can make them sit there and talk to us? <laughs> we can go more technical, too. Uh, <laughs> I have one. See the people in the back. They've been here for other things. Um, I'd like to. I think it's, they, I talked to them before the meeting. I think it's been done once for the council or here. 
when do we go for TANs, when do we go for BANs? And if it, that's tax anticipation notes, bond anticipation mm -hmm. notes, yeah. um, who do we go to, how are the bids taken, that kind of stuff. Um, and I mentioned to them that um, in, in this era of, um, I'm missing the word, openness, lack of a code, transparency, there it is. Um, could they think about doing something like uh, the state does? The state has their checkbook online. If you wish to read what the state is spending money on, you can do that. I mean, in our case, it's a budget, and you can see how much, but you don't know when. Uh, and some sort of thoughts about, I'm sure Jamie gets reports every quarter, every month, where we stand in terms of, you know, where's the school committee stand on spending, that kind of stuff. Uh, like, at some point, I don't hear that. Um, yeah, we can, we can, I mean, I think they're more than, obviously they're, we can all discuss all those various issues. Um, you know, a couple things. One on open checkbook and that kind of thing. You know, there's there's. Uh, it sounds easy. It is not. And so um, the other thing in terms of analytics and and stuff of that. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, you know, we don't have budget. You know, a lot of towns have budget analysts. You know, they've started integrating toward them a little more to get at what you're talking about in terms of year-to-date spending and overanalyzing data and look, trying to find threads of some sort of information of intellectual curiosity with all the numbers. Um, you know, um, you know, maybe somewhere down the line, you know, that becomes a priority. Um, but um, you know, with Chris and Kerry and the staff that we have here. You know, I say this with all sincerity and transparency. You know, we have staff that are unbelievable, but they, they do what they do. We don't have a tax levy or a, a tax system here. And I say this all the time, we are not native. They have a 20 to 25% higher value of property, which then is reflected in their tax rate, which then allows them to hire a lot more people to get at what you're talking, George. Not in terms of bans and when do you borrow and things of that sort. I mean, the treasurer collector, bond council, and our financial advisors can answer that. But in terms of like the open metrics and how you spend money and when do you not and stuff like that, it's just not something that we have a lot of staff capacity. Uh, we're 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 working literally, I would say, most of the day on high level strategy and then just getting all the checks cut and just, you know, quality control, you know, all the regular stuff you would see in accounting and payroll warrants and making sure the wheels go around. Um, there's really not a lot of extra fat. And in fact, when Jeff Nutting and I and other towns usually go do presentations at the MMA, we usually get paired, Franklin does, with in Arlington or Belmont to, to show the juxtaposition of the amount of money and time they spend to produce something that we produce at a much less cost. You know, our financial assault, you know, I think we've all talked about this, not just the AAA, but, um, you know, our financial situation and profile is, is, uh, is pretty strong given the size of our levy and our capacity. 
maybe we get to budget season. We do have the schools coming in in December. Uh, the November meeting will be the budget adjustment, and that's your deep dive to talk about whatever issues you guys want to do. Um, and then the school, well, the budget amendment adjustment is in November, and then the December meeting is when you guys requested the school department to come in. So I think we're finalizing that date uh, to make sure that they they will all be here in December. Alicia's bobbing her head saying that they confirmed it. So that'll take you through the new year, and then when we get into the new year, we'll I'll talk to Chris and Carrie. And the Kustan recite a lot of changes. What's that? Things change. Brutus's changed. The wastewater might change. The way he looks at things. We've and changed. Huh? We've changed. You've changed. Yeah, we've changed. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. All right. Anything else? The release. Thank you again. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. Second. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, John, are you still on? Yes. Mike? Yes. Dave? Yes. George? Yes. 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 We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.